This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite, joined again this week by my partner in crime on the Punch Drunk Predictions, Patrick Shivaklinski. Uh, sorry about last week, the show not going up. We had some just technical difficulties slash production difficulties slash life just gets in the way. Let's be honest. There are days, there are weeks where things are just chaos and it's it's tough getting this show put together because we are sort of doing it on our own. A bunch of people that this isn't necessarily our jobs. And so sometimes there are unfortunately going to be weeks like last week where the show doesn't get put together and doesn't get out. But hopefully that won't be the case this week. Patty, how are you? How was the week? How was your weekend? Oh, pretty good. Can't complain. Uh, it was a uh, nice little getaway weekend for me on Salisbury Island. So got uh, a little bit of R&R and uh, gearing up for this uh, week. We got some fights on the way. It was a fightless weekend, as as you know. So we uh, we got a little bit of, uh, of, of a break on the weekend, but obviously it, it never stops. I know you were uh, up to some Invicta and then World Series of Fighting stuff for sure. Yeah, it was a it was a UFC fightless weekend, but that doesn't mean a fightless weekend overall. Um, checked out Invicta on Friday night, Invicta FC 16, covered that for UFC.com. Really great night of fights. If you have Fight Pass, which you should buy now, definitely worth going back and checking out that show. Um, runs pretty quickly. There's some really good fights. I like a lot of what Invicta is doing and have done especially since making the transition to the Fight Pass platform. Um, didn't watch as much of World Series of Fighting, did jump in to catch Justin Gaethje continuing to wreck shop. Uh, checked out Prestige FC for one fight on Fight Network to check in on my man Eamon Zahabi, who ran his record to 6-0 and with a victory over Kyle Oliveira. Um, unfortunately, an injury, but Eamon looked good to start. A guy that I definitely think we'll be hearing from in the future. But we wanted to get into this week's show with with starting it with a, a few rumors that have been circulating, a look at some of the sort of topics that are buzzing that have people talking that you and I haven't gotten a chance to address yet. So we'll jump right into it, our rumors of the week. The first one, because we are Canadians, because we are homers in that regard, this potential George St. Pierre return. We saw him at UFC 196. We saw Faraz Zahabi a couple days later tweet out to Nathan Diaz that he and George were both impressed with his performance. We know that's a a fight that Hmm. Nate has looked at in the past and talked about in the past. So my question to you, it's been more than two years now since George, you know, went on sabbatical and walked away from the sport. Do you think he's coming back? And if he does, who should he fight? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting, uh, interesting, Interesting question that, you know, I think uh, pretty much everyone has, has tried to cover it at some point, uh, covering the MMA game. You know, it's 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 so hard for me to say, but, you know, I think what we saw definitely 
Definitely, um, you know, uh, in, in, in that fight last week at UFC 196, you know, George St. Pierre, you know, does not come to Vegas without purpose, as as we know in the uh, from the past. Um, you know, he's not a guy who who travels outside of you know Montreal for no reason, come down to a UFC event for absolutely no reason. So it did seem, you know, interesting that he was in in the you know attendance for UFC 196. Definitely a, a big event in terms of you know Connor going up in weight. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think, uh, in, in terms of whether he'll actually come back for the right fight, I feel that he would, um, and this, and this fight with, uh, you know, Nate Diaz, this sort of little, uh, you know, um, sort of impressed with your performance comment by Faraz Zahabi, you know, uh, I think it, it, it's, you know, an interesting, an interesting fight for George to take, especially, you know, at this point in Nate Diaz's career, you know, coming off of, uh, you know, that big win over Conor McGregor, his stock has never been higher. So, you know, and we know that, you know, the Diaz brothers only want those big money fights and certainly, you know, um, I think, you know, Nate's um, performance would merit something like that. And it would be very interesting to see, you know, GSP step in there with uh, a second Diaz brother. Um, whether that actually happens, I think that's a, you know, a more complicated issue because, you know, we obviously know that, you know, George trains, um, you know, all year round. But he said it before in the past, you know, fight training is different than training for sort of, uh, you know, his own, um, you know, to, to keep in good physical shape and keep healthy. Um, that's that's much different. So I guess it's going to really depend on where he's at uh, mentally and, and seeing those guys fight live again, maybe that fired him up a bit. Um, but I definitely wouldn't, um, you know, put it past uh, George to, um, you know, to come back into the octagon and take a fight with someone like a Nate Diaz for sure. I think the consensus is that if George St. Pierre is coming back, it will be at UFC 200. To me, that makes sense one of the biggest names in the history of this sport returning for what we all expect to be the biggest show in UFC history. So that part to me fits the timeline of it now being March. That fight is happening in early, in early July in Las Vegas. That sort of lines up. I think Nathan Diaz is an interesting option if he's not going to get a title shot either at welterweight or lightweight coming off of the fight with, with Conor McGregor a couple weekends back now at UFC 196. To me, that's where I would like to see the UFC go with Nate, just because coming off such an electric performance, such a star-making performance. I mean, we saw Nathan Diaz on Extra this week. Did you ever think there would be a time that we saw <laughs> supposedly antisocial Nate Diaz on Extra talking about slapping Justin Bieber? Um, and being, Amazing. <laughs> being a quality guest and having fun with it. So I think they need to, to use his current rise and his current jump in popularity and recognition to a greater end than fighting George St. Pierre, who I think would just take him down, grind him out. And then suddenly Nate Diaz is kind of a wasted, you know, that victory over Conor McGregor feels like it becomes a little bit wasted. To me, and I talked about this with our mutual friend Danny Austin and a few other people in Las Vegas during the UFC 196 fight week, to me, the timing feels right for Anderson Silva. He's coming off a loss. He's clearly not the same guy that he was pre-Chris Weidman, pre-leg break, pre-steroid suspension. George is coming off a lengthy layoff. These are the two biggest names from 
one of the greatest periods in the UFC's history, if not the greatest period in the UFC's history. We always talked about them fighting. We always talked about this would be the dream matchup. I just think you stick that as number three on the pay-per-view at UFC 200 or even the co-main event if you don't have room for or the opportunity to book two title fights and you just let them go. That's bringing in the people that have abandoned ship. That's bringing in casual fans that only know those few names. And it's making all of us that are still hardcore fanboys just wet ourselves at the potential (laughs) of finally seeing this. Do you like the idea? I certainly do, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, for George St. Pierre, I mean, coming back definitely, uh, you know, it it is still one of those layoffs that, um, you know, it's been over, you know, two years now since he stepped into the octagon. And you you definitely, um, you know, put a... Put him in a risky situation if you're giving him a fighter that's you know uh, coming with uh, you know a lot of confidence and and someone who's been fighting actively. I mean, he's still George St. Pierre at the end of the day, um, one of the most amazing athletes you know we've seen in the sport. But I, I love that idea of of having him and Anderson finally fight and definitely you know second or third on that card. Um, for all the reasons that you just said, I mean, you know, he, you know, George has that big name recognition. So does Anderson. And now that, you know, Andrew Anderson's coming off of a loss, uh, to Michael Bisbing recently, you know, what better time, I mean, uh, for George St. Pierre to sort of get in there after his own layoff Two guys who, you know, uh, obviously we were not sure exactly where they're at in their MMA careers, but just a fight of two legends that we could finally see. Um, at UFC 200, that sounds perfect to me, and uh, I think it will be a a very interesting fight. And um, you know, I I, I sort of uh, thought about the Nate Diaz idea as well. And I mean, for for those reasons that you were sort of saying as well, I mean, I, I'd like to see Nate, um, you know, compete in another probably entertaining fight as well. Um, you know, obviously George would, I think, smother Nate and, and physically kind of uh, bully him a bit. So I don't know how much, you know, um, excitement I'd get out of watching a Nate Diaz GSP fight. Um, you know, we, we saw his brother Nick fight uh, GSP, and it, you know, wasn't, you know, uh, the most exciting and thrilling fight that I've seen of all time. But... You know, it, it would be a huge fight for Nate, and I think that, um, you know, that's one thing to consider as well is is that Nate's stock is high, and now he does have some, you know, um, you know, power to do to an extent what he wants. Not he he won't you know get completely what he wants. I don't think, but he has now some power to to call some shots. I think, and and definitely if if he has his heart set on fighting George St. Pierre, then I think that the UFC might try to make that happen for UFC 200. Um, but, you know, with that being said, I, I would like to see Nate Diaz compete uh, more in his, you know, um, in, a, in a fight with, you know, someone like a Robbie Lawler. Just entertainment-wise, I think it would stack up better with, with his sort of skill set. Yeah, I just think the timing, as you said, is right for Nathan Diaz to do something bigger and better coming off that star-making turn against Conor McGregor, showing up on 11 days' notice, telling everybody repeatedly that he does not give an F, that he was not surprised MFers. Um, (laughs) Use all of that to catapult him to, even if it is putting him in there with Rafael Dos Anjos again once his foot gets better, giving him a shot at the lightweight title for a second time, giving him a shot at Dos Anjos for a second time. 
I think the circumstances are different this time around than their first fight. I think Robbie Lawler would be a hell of a fight if they want to keep him at welterweight, if he doesn't want to make that cut. Um, though I know there are some welterweights out there, Tyron Woodley, that very much want that opportunity <laughs> and believe that they're in line. So it'd be interesting to see. I don't necessarily know that George St. Pierre is still the same guy that goes in and grinds him out and makes it not a boring fight, but a very tactical fight, a fight largely contested on the ground. I just don't think you want that if you're the UFC for Nate Diaz this time around coming off that performance, but we'll find out. I mean, there's been two years now of GSPs coming back. No, he's not. Um, You know, we had a reporter from Quebec not that long ago, a couple months ago, saying George was going to announce it. That obviously got debunked. Dana has talked repeatedly about, ah, I'm not sure if George really wants this, and I don't I don't know that he still wants to fight. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was just here because he wanted to see the fights. So ultimately, I think we have to take that traditional wait-and-see approach with things. Um, but we mentioned Nate Diaz in there in our, in our first rumor in that George St. Pierre conversation. The other place he's getting mentioned this week and over the last few days is the possibility of a rematch with Conor McGregor, which the first time I saw it, I kind of just ignored it, figuring it was some stupidity from Conor McGregor fans that are upset that their, their boy got beaten, um, making the excuses, you know, short notice, first time up, blah, 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 blah. But it seems to be getting a little bit more traction in the media. There are a few more people talking about it whether Connor is into it or not. I just don't know that it makes sense. What are your thoughts? Could we possibly need to see this rematch right away? Hell no. I mean, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, not, not, not in my eyes. I mean, I think, um, you know, there, there's definitely an argument to be made. And, and I think it, it was pretty clear that Connor was, you know, winning that first round. But listen, I mean, you know, Nate Diaz, finished Conor McGregor convincingly. He started lighting him up with that clean boxing in the second round, caught him right on the chin, wobbled him, and then he choked him out. Um, So there was no doubt in my mind that Nate Diaz, you know, deserved to win that fight, um, should have won that fight. You know, how it played out, obviously, um, you know, a tough night for Conor McGregor fans, but listen, that's the sport. I don't think that Connor should fight Nate again. Um, maybe somewhere down the line, but at this particular point in time, I think Connor needs to go um, down to 145 and defend that belt against Aldo or Edgar. You know, whoever uh, the UFC end, ends up choosing uh, as as Connor's next opponent. The only way that I could see this possibly going down um, would be if you know Connor's blowing up Dana's phone every single day, saying that you know he wants to run that one back. And, uh, you know, Dana might cave after a while, but um, that would be the only circumstance that I'd see that. And I don't really think that personally, you know, I mean, you know, I I do think Connor wants to have that fight back, but I think that he realizes that he does need to go back down to featherweight and defend his belt, you know, at least once and, um, you know. Uh, sort of, you know, get the, get another win under his belt before he faces Nate again. I think that eventually, you know, they they will probably meet for a second fight, but I don't think the timing is right right now. I don't think that, you know, Connor truly believes that, you know, this, you know, if he had a second shot at Nate Diaz right now, um, you know, or in the next few coming months, that, you know, the the outcome would be a lot different. 
I'm with you. I, I think there's absolutely no reason to do this again at this point. As we talked about last week on, on the Lost episode, Connor needs to go back to featherweight. He talked about it immediately following UFC 196, that he needs to go back down and defend that belt that he does have where his punching power translates, where his speed translates, where he holds all those advantages that carried him to this point where we were talking about, you know, fighting for the lightweight title and potentially fighting Robbie Lawler for the welterweight title and kind of rebuild a little bit of that momentum. I do think that losing to Nathan Diaz hasn't hurt his stock at all. I think we love seeing people. We love the, the one thing we like more than seeing stars and celebrities fall is seeing their comebacks. And I think this next fight for Connor can still be a major positive for the UFC. It'll be interesting to see who they go with between Frankie Edgar and Jose Aldo. I'm still leaning Jose Aldo, which sucks for Frankie Edgar because I think he's done enough to merit a shot, but I just think it would be much like putting Nate Diaz in with George St. Pierre to me would be a waste. I think running back this fight again would be a waste as well. Somewhere down the line, as you said, maybe they cross paths. Maybe they meet in the middle at lightweight. Maybe it becomes a title fight somewhere down the line. You know, Connor gets that lightweight belt and Nate says, well, I've already beat this guy once. Let me beat him on a full camp. Then we can run it back. But for right now, jumping back into it again, using one of your champions out of division in a fight that we just saw seems like a colossal waste of time to me. So hopefully that doesn't happen. We'll get to our last rumor. We'll get to our last sort of question mark of, of who should fight this person right now. And that person is new UFC women's bantamweight champion, Misha Tate. Since she won the belt, we have seen literally everyone in the division lining up to want to fight her and putting forth their reasons and their logic. Obviously, Dana White talked about it the post-fight at after UFC 196 on the various post-fight shows that he was in touch with Ronda. And Ronda said, look, looks like I've got to get back to work. So we know she wants it. We've seen Holly Holm say she wants to run it back for UFC 200. Sarah McMahon, as we joked about last week, said, you know, this time I'll knock her out. Your two losses, your <laughs> You get two losses back-to-back on your record. You need to go out and get a win before you start talking about title fights and knocking out champions that just choked out somebody with a gutsy performance. Um, Amanda Nunes at the press conference asked Misha Coyley for the opportunity. She's coming off some very good wins, but also hasn't really jumped off the page in terms of being that elite contender yet. And then got up this morning, Kat Zingano, who has been sort of lobbying for it for the last week, kind of really laid out her case a little bit more and said, look, I already beat her. It was fight of the night. It was wildly entertaining. It was a great back and forth. I think it will be again. I know she would like to avenge that loss. I know she doesn't want to necessarily wait around till the end of the year, whenever Ronda is going to be ready to go get back. So if you don't want to do Holly right away, I'm right here. The trouble with that for me is that Kat's been out since losing to Ronda Rousey last year in all of 14 seconds. So I put it to you. I will let you play the role of Sean Shelby (laughs) here. Who does Misha Tate fight in her first UFC title defense? Yeah, you know, um, that's that's an interesting question, you know. And, um, you know, I I went back and forth on this one a bit, you know, as we talked on sort of the last episode. Um, You know, I think that... 
Amanda Nunez, uh, you know, would have been, you know, maybe maybe an interesting test in in some ways. And I think the the big one that we talked about was obviously Ronda Rousey, uh, that third fight. Um, you know, seeing how you know it could go, you know, much differently than the first two uh, potentially. But you know, the the more and more I think about it. You know, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure where Rhonda's at, you know, um, you know, mentally and where she's at physically and and whether she'd be, you know, uh ready to, you know, take on Misha Tate, you know, at this point, even though she's had two wins over her, I just you know, I worry about, you know, um her coming back into the sport at this point, you know, after sort of everything that's happened. Um, you know, I'd like to see ideally Rhonda take a little bit more time off just to focus on herself and and sort of um, you know f- figure everything out and and get back when she feels that it's right to to come back, not when you know um, anybody else is telling her you know this is your opportunity to get back the belt. When she feels it's right, I think that's when she should come back. Um, you know, if she felt that was right, um, you know, against Misha at UFC 200, then, you know, so be it. But it has to be under Ronda's terms. I'd like to see, you know, her make that decision, obviously, and, and, and come in there fully committed. Um, but as I was saying, you know, sort of uh, thinking about it after a little while, you know, I thought the Cad Zingano one was a little interesting. But, you know, to me, I really do you know, sort of think about that first Holly Holm fight that, that just occurred at UFC 196, and, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind running it back. It was, you know, it was one of those fights that, you know, obviously Misha, you know, showed her grit and, and strength and, you know, just survived some, you know, uh, dangerous attacks from, from Holly, and Holly was definitely winning that fight, I think, going into that fifth round. So, you know... I wouldn't be adverse to seeing that fight again, you know, uh, opposite of sort of what happened between, you know, Nate and um, Connor. You know, obviously, um, Misha did get the finish, but the fight, I think, was a lot, you know, a lot different in, in terms of, uh, you know, Holly actually, you know, being ahead. I mean, I guess, and, and you know, and Connor was ahead as well, but the fight lasted longer, and I think. You know, Holly showed that that she can go five rounds. You know, with with this elite kind of fighter, um, and I think you know it would be interesting to see what Holly would do in in the second fight if she would you know sort of focus more on her you know Brazilian jiu-jitsu and her grappling. You know, because she knows that's coming this time around. I think the first time, obviously, you know, she respected you know what Misha could bring on the ground, but you know, in a lot of ways, maybe she was thinking, listen, you know. Um, you know, I stuffed Ron Rousey, you know, multiple times in that first fight, and I just lit her up on the ground. Maybe I could do the same with Misha, you know. Um, I'm not sure exactly, you know, what went through her head, obviously, but I think this time, you know, if they ran it back, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing that, and I don't think that it would go uh, the same way the second time, and uh, I think that Holly's one of those fighters that, you know, she just she just wants to fight, man. You know, she, she wants to get in there, and she wants to compete, and I think that, you know, it would be a, a much different fight the second time around, and I think it would be an uh, equally as interesting fight to see. As you said, she was winning that fight. There is very much a difference between Holly Holm being ahead on the scorecards going into the fifth and Conor McGregor being ahead on the scorecards after one, and so that has some validity to it in terms of potentially running it back. As the guy that wrote a column coming out of the 
Dominic Cruz, TJ Dillashaw fight advocating against immediate rematches. I just, I don't necessarily want to see it because I don't need to see it right away again. I love the idea of putting a little distance between competitors that, that have fought, that had a compelling matchup that, that looked good in the cage together that really got us interested. So for me, I kind of, and I can't believe I'm saying this after not being overly overwhelmed with Amanda Nunes at UFC 196, but I think you kind of just run Misha out there against Amanda Nunes. You put a little distance between the Ronda Rousey fight. You get Holly Holm back in the cage, maybe against Sarah McMahon, maybe against Katzingano, maybe against Misha Tate's friend, Juliana Pena, to see where she's at in this discussion. You kind of... To me, one of the keys is is sort of continuing to build Misha going forward so that regardless of who she fights sort of in December or later, she becomes as much of a story and as much of a factor in the promotion as Ronda does, as Hollywood down the road. So for me, I think that's the route you go, but, but we'll see. Chances are the UFC isn't going to want to roll the dice with another big fight again, so they may either keep Misha on the sidelines for a potential rematch. I honestly would love to see Ronda and Holly rematch at this point, um, even though that would sort of be an immediate rematch for for Ronda. It makes for, to me, it, it's still the most compelling fight because Holly's the one that sort of shattered the aura of invincibility of Ronda Rousey. And so I think that's a fight that she's probably more interested in than going out and, and beating Misha Tate for the title, who she's fought twice in the past and beat rather handily in the past. But we'll see. There's there's lots of options for the UFC, and as we've talked about a number of times on this show, options are always a good thing. So how they decide to move forward, where they decide to go, as with everything we've, we've talked about with these rumors, wait-and-see approach, and we will keep you posted, of course. It is the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. East Spencer Kite, Patrick Shipiklinski, jumping into round two for us today, looking at this weekend's UFC Fight Night event in Brisbane, Australia. One of those cards that it's another international event. It is on uh, television as opposed to Fight Pass, where we've seen a lot of these international shows headlined by heavyweights Mark Hunt and Frank Mir, the return of Hector Lombard against Neil Magny, a bunch of Australian and New Zealand-based talent, as you would expect. One of those shows that isn't loaded with names, that isn't loaded with prospects or guys that you necessarily need to watch. But I think there are a couple interesting questions, and, and we talked about these as we were sort of setting up the show. Starting with that main event, for you, what's the potential impact of this heavyweight matchup? Can Mark Hunt continue to be sort of that fringe contender? Does Frank Mir restart another restart by beating Mark Hunt? Or is this just one of those heavyweight fights that is going to be entertaining in the way that most heavyweight fights tend to be entertaining? Yeah, well, uh, first off, you know, I think that uh, any fight, you know, in the heavyweight division this these days, you know, with, you know, uh, any sort of bigger name recognition like a Mark Hunt or a Frank Mir, has some kind of contender implications, you know, whether, you know, you like it or not, these guys, you know, late 30s and early 40s for, for Mark Hunt. But, you know, I think 
it does have some implications going down, you know, down the line if if they want to compete for a heavyweight title again. I mean, these guys are still uh, two fighters that are in, you know, in that top ten conversation. Obviously, you know, at the at the sort of latter end, but um, it'd be, you know, it's an interesting fight in a lot of ways. Like you said, you know, it could be another rude restart for Frank Mir and for Mark Hunt. I mean. It's it's another interesting matchup to see sort of where he's at, you know, at this age. You know, he's he's 41 years old. He's turning 42 at the end of this month, and um, you know, I I just don't know, you know, what more we can see from Mark Hunt. He had that um, you know interim title shot already against Fabrizio Verdum. I think that was his big shot. Now, you know, I think it's more about taking fights for Mark Hunt. You know in Australia where he's the big star and, and still, you know, a huge draw. I think for him, it's, uh, you know, just going out there and, and kind of a, a fight by fight basis, honestly, to, to see, you know, where he's at and, and if he can still, you know, put together a string of wins like he did, you know, uh, when he first joined the UFC, you know, early on and, and then, um, you know, had to have four, four wins in a row. And now, you know, has his, has had his title shot, um, but I do think that you know it, it's a it's a fight for both guys that if they win, they can potentially you know um, still move up in the rankings and still become contenders potentially. But you know, in the overall grand scheme of things, I I do think that you know it is more like you said, it's one of those you know heavyweight fun matches that that we could see and you know Frank Mir has been kind of interesting as well because you know we saw him um knock the living daylight out of Todd Duffy who you know a lot of people thought you know was a great prospect and myself included uh, you know I was really excited to see you know Duffy's sort of ascension in the heavyweight division but um you know Frank Mir put a put a big halt on that and then in the fight against Andre Arlovsky that he had after that you know, um, it was a it was a very kind of strange fight. You know, a lot of some people thought that Frank won, some people thought Andre won, but it was one of those fights where there wasn't a whole lot going on. I can tell you who, um, so I think, I can tell you who didn't win that fight, and it was the fans. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a hundred percent for sure. But you know, I think for for Frank Mir, you know, this is definitely an opportunity for him. If let's say he comes out there. And he gets, you know, a submission victory over Mark Hunt, which is very possible with, you know, um, Mark Hunt's, you know, obviously Mark Hunt's takedown defense has improved significantly since he was getting, you know, uh, choked out, you know, by Gegard Masasi and, and Sean McCorkle, um, you know, back in the day. But I think, um, you know, Frank Mears, you know, uh, grappling is very legit and he could go in and, and, and submit uh, Mark Hunt potentially, you know, and if that happened, then suddenly, you know, you're talking about a guy who's got to win over a, a big heavyweight prospect like Todd Duffy, and now he's got to win against uh, Mark Hunt, you know, a finish of Mark Hunt. And suddenly, you know, he's an interesting guy in that heavyweight division again. So um, in the heavyweight division, like, you know, we've talked so many times uh, before about this, it's it's hard to make sense of a lot of things, and it's hard to put logic into a lot of, you know, the moves that, that happen Um you know, in terms of title shots and whatnot. But I think that for for Frank Mir, I think this is a bigger opportunity than it is for Mark Hunt. I think Mark Hunt has had his shot. 
Um, I don't see him getting another one anytime soon. I think right now he's just kind of taking it on, on a fight-by-fight basis and going in to maybe have those, you know, more fun matchups. But for Frank Mir, I think that, you know, a win over Mark Hunt does, you know, quite a bit for him and, and could move him up into another big fight. And before you know it, we could have Frank Mir, you know, fighting for another title in 2017. Who knows? <laughs> See, and for me, I'm at the exact opposite end of that spectrum. I think for the first time in a long time, the heavyweight division has some clarity to it in terms of who the main contenders are. Um, obviously, Stipe Miocic fighting Fabricio Verdum for the title. Ben Rothwell going to Zagreb, Croatia to fight Junior Dos Santos. Um, Alistair Overeem and Andre Arlovsky pairing off. Cain Velasquez sidelined coming back from injury. Those are your top six contenders. And then Verdum is the champion, obviously. And I think they're in a cut above. I think they're a group unto themselves. And this fight for me is just one of those heavyweight matchups that becomes an entertaining fight. I think there's ground for these guys to make up if they want to be contenders again, as much as, you know, anybody, either of these guys winning this fight in spectacular fashion obviously is going to give them a bump. Mark Hunt, it would be a second consecutive win. He is absolutely a fan favorite, a guy that has been there before. But I think we know his ceiling. Frank Mir, very much the same. We've seen him struggle he had his opportunity. He had his opportunity to get back into that title picture when he fought Andrei Arlovsky at UFC 191 in Las Vegas in September, and he came out and it was a lackluster affair. It was the Frank Mir that you sort of know when he's going to not look great, and it's when he shows up on the scale at about 250 and looking kind of <laughs> doughy. He then comes out and and doesn't have a great performance. That's what we got in Las Vegas, and I think that was his missed opportunity. Um, I think Mark Hunt, because he does have that blistering power, because he does have, you know, that, that fan support behind him. It's not, we're not too far removed from the rally for Hunt that he couldn't possibly make a run up the ranks. But I do think he's very much, as you said, in that position of take some fun fights, take some entertaining opportunities to be a part of cards in Australia and that area. We know that the UFC is going to Australia and New Zealand three times this year. This is the first show. It wouldn't be surprising to me to see Mark Hunt on another one of them and not necessarily in a big-time contender fight because I don't think he needs to be. I think the UFC has enough in the division right now to move forward without these guys. And if either of them gets on a real impressive run, then you can circle them in. But they're, I think they're... We need to get to a point, and I think we are getting to a point as fans, as observers of this sport, where we we need to understand and and know that there doesn't always have to be contender stakes. And it's one of the things that I don't know if it bothers you as much as it bothers me, but it Hmm. bugs me in the intros of these events when they're setting up matchups and whoever is doing the commentary announces everybody as a contender or a couple of wins away from being a contender. (laughs) Not everybody's in that position and they don't have to be. This is a fun fight. It's a fight that I'm very much looking forward to seeing because I'm pretty sure somebody is going to get finished one way or the other, either by blistering knockout where Frank Mir is out cold on the ground 
or he ends up pulling off some kind of crazy ass submission against Mark Hunt, mm-hmm. both of which are entertaining scenarios to me without having to think about where these guys fit in the title picture. So hopefully we continue to get to that point. Hopefully we see a fight that's as entertaining as we expect it to be. And that sort of leads me to our second fight on this UFC Brisbane card, which is just a giant bundle of question marks for me. (laughs) The return of Hector Lombard against the perpetually active Neil Magny, who is coming off what for him is a ridiculously long layoff. He hasn't fought since last August in Saskatoon. So even though it's, you know, only six months, which is something normal for most people, it's a crazy long layoff for Neil Magny. My question to you, I guess, to start it, and as I posed to you as we were setting this up, where the hell does Hector Lombard fit in this division after a year off, after a positive test, after not being overwhelmingly great since arriving in the UFC? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a head scratcher. I mean, he's he's one of those you know enigmatic figures in the sport. I think that you know. He has that reputation as being somewhat of a boogeyman in, in you know in that welterweight division, and you know we've we've heard it. You know guys are ducking him or don't want to fight him or you know for whatever reason you know some some of his fights fall apart and you know suddenly he's fighting Josh Berkman at UFC 182. So in terms of how he fits into the welterweight division, um, you know I do think that Hector Lombard does have to you know. Uh, prove himself a little bit, you know, now coming off that, you know, um, you know, uh, test results uh, for, for anabolic steroids that, you know, he tested positive um, and having that one year suspension, um, he does have some proving to do. I don't think he can jump right back in and, and say, you know, I want to fight Rory McDonald and he gets that fight right off the bat or, which or a Tyron Wood. Which he did say, yeah. of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's how uh, Lombard rolls. He feels that yeah. after a year on the sidelines with a suspension, <laughs> You just walk back into it. And to be honest, it's a fight mm. that was discussed. It was a fight that was on the table and, and being looked at for earlier in the year and just didn't come together. And to me, I'm very happy that it didn't come together because it seemed like a poor choice of usage for Rory McDonald coming off his epic clash with Robbie Lawler to then fight a guy that's been on the sidelines for a year after popping hot. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, that fight, you know, was linked to that UFC 186 uh, event uh, in Montreal that we both attended. Um, yeah, as well before that. And, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting to sort of see, you know, um, what he'll be like, you know, off off of anabolic steroids and and what, you know, he can bring to the table. And, and obviously, I, uh, you know, I think Hector Lombard definitely wants a bigger name. You know, there's no question that he wants a Rory McDonald or, or a Tyron Woodley or someone like that. And I don't think he's happy fighting a Neil Magny. But, you know, he should not underestimate Neil Magny. And Neil Magny is one of those guys who's been, you know, like you said, one of the most active guys at 170 pounds and has been, you know, doing a great job, you know, outside of his loss to uh, Damian Maya. You know he's been he's been winning and winning consistently. Um, so I think that um, for Hector, this is an opportunity to to prove himself against a guy who's you know very very much in that you know um, conversation uh, contender conversation at at welterweight. You know one of those guys who's hungry and he's trying to get his you know um, you know title shot um, in in the near future. And Neil Magny 
is is a very tricky fighter to deal with as well. You know, being as tall as he is and uh, with that reach that he has, you know, um, Hector Lombard is is going to have a, a difficult time, and I think he might get frustrated in the fight. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. But you know, in terms of where he fits in exactly in that division. You know, I think that this fight will, will give us a little more clarity to see exactly, you know, what Hector Lombard is capable of after, you know, more than a year off. And, you know, if he goes in there and smokes Neil Magny and finishes him in the first round, then we're saying, okay, the boogeyman is back. But, you know, I, I think that this is going to be a tougher test for um, for Hector Lombard than some people, you know, are, are giving, you know, um, you know, a credit to, you know, Neil Magny for, for how good of a job that he's done, you know, lately. I think that, you know, some people think that we're just going to see that Hector Lombard of old who just, you know, runs through guys like a, you know, wrecking ball. So I think that this is going to be a very interesting fight, and I do think that it will give us some clarity to see what Hector Lombard will show up and what Hector Lombard, uh, you know, we get moving forward after this fight. First, I owe an apology to Neil Magny. Of course he has a fight since appearing in Saskatoon against Eric Silva. Went out on short notice again because that's how he does. Picked up a split decision victory over Calvin Gaslam at UFC Fight Night Monterey in November 2011. His ninth win in ten fights. His ninth win in two years. Um, I agree with you that this is really the deciding moment for Hector Lombard. Because I too think Neil Magny is a guy that a lot of people sleep on because there's zero flash to his game. He's just long jab, uses range, uses length. Good everywhere, not great anywhere, but a frustrating guy with killer cardio that can go out there and make anybody look bad. Um, As you mentioned, his lone loss in the last two years to Damian Maya, nothing to look down on. Um, Maya has looked phenomenal since returning to his jiu-jitsu roots. I'm very interested to see what we get out of Hector Lombard here because, as you said, he can be that wrecking ball. He is that guy that we've seen. I mean, his his welterweight debut in the UFC against Nate Marquardt just goes out and thrashes him. Uh, The fight with Jake Shields, nowhere near as entertaining as it could have been. Same goes for the, the Josh Berkman fight that became a no contest. I think if he's going to have an impact, if he's going to get some of those big fights that he's looking for, that we know he wants, he needs to go out and have a performance like that Nate Marquardt fight against Neil Magny. But I think that's easier said than done. I think Hector Lombard is just one of those guys that was absolutely crushing fools before he showed up in the UFC for whatever reason, be it competition or, you know, potentially substances. And now that he got to the big leagues, he's just, we're seeing some of the limitations. We're seeing what better competition, guys with better strategies, better skill sets, does to a guy that's able to make a really good name for himself and sort of develop a reputation outside of the octagon. To me, he's he's one of the examples of why the UFC is absolutely the best in the the business and why I want to see more of these guys that aren't in the UFC eventually make their way to the UFC because I really want to know how good Justin Gaethje really is. I really want to know how good Marlon Moraes is. I really still want to know how good Ben Askren is and Bibiano Fernandez and all those guys that are fighting outside of the octagon. 
I think we've gotten a measure of that with Hector Lombard. And I think, as you said, we find out where he fits in the welterweight division this weekend in Brisbane on, I believe, TSN 2 here in Canada, Fox Sports 1 in the States, early prelims, of course, on Fight Pass, and then on the Fight Network after that. It is the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. East Spencer Kite and Patrick Shibiklinski prepping UFC Brisbane this Saturday, as we said, TSN 2 and the Fight Network and Fight Pass for prelims. As much as I dislike the fact that it's on three different platforms or two, because I'm pretty sure you can just stick through all the prelims on Fight Pass. Don't let the Fight Network hear hear me say that. Um, It's just easier. You don't have to switch streams. Shout out to them for figuring out that you don't have to go and switch feeds all the time. Eric Winter doing a hell of a job with the new platform. Get to our next point on this Brisbane card. Third fight of the main card. Lightweights, Jake Matthews, Johnny Case. These two have been jawing each other for months now about wanting to fight each other. It's finally coming together. Uh, Jake Matthews was on Tough Nations as a 19-year-old, one of the youngest fighters in the UFC. And my question to you as we were setting this up was, does the UFC need Jake Matthews to win and to be a star for Australia to really work? We haven't seen anybody necessarily homegrown take that leap. I think Robert Whitaker has the potential to. But Jake Matthews is the guy that I think a lot of us has been intrigued by because of his youth, because of the potential we see. So does he need to be somebody that continues to move forward and that we continue to see development and growth from for this to really work and be, continue to become bigger in Australia? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we uh, absolutely need it, um, you know, need him to sort of become that big star, you know, in Australia, but it certainly would help a lot, um, you know, especially when you consider, you know, Mark Hunt, you know, getting up in age and and probably, you know, heading into retirement in the in the next little while, um, or or not, who knows with Mark Hunt? But um, you know, I do think that you know Jake Matthews is a very you know interesting prospect, and you know if he can put together you know some wins and and build a little bit of hype around himself, um, you know it would go a long way in, in boosting sort of um, you know that scene in Australia. He's a guy who's fought exclusively in New Zealand and Australia his whole career and his whole UFC career. So you know people are familiar with him in in that part of the world. You know and and I think that he's an exciting prospect. Um, you know his loss to James Vick is nothing you know to be ashamed of. Very you know tough opponent, another very tough prospect that he fought, um, you know, back uh, back in May 2015, but he's bounced back nicely from that in his win against Akbar Ariola, uh, UFC 193, um, and I think that he's one of those guys who's, who's going to continue just getting better, and uh, you can build him as a star, um, you know, but it will take time. He's still very young, and he's still, you know, very you know, relatively raw, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, he's, he's only 21. So he's growing up with the UFC as we're seeing, you know, with, with, you know, guys like Sage Northcutt who get pushed in, you know, uh, maybe a little too quickly or, or what have you, um, you know, against an opponent that maybe they shouldn't have been fighting. Maybe they should have, you know, it's a part of the game, but Jake Matthews has had his loss already, you know, and he's, he's now on that, you know, upward trajectory. I think that, 
you know, this is an opportunity being being on that main card, being the third fight, um, you know, on that main card. This is a great opportunity for him to, you know, go and, and put on a put on another great performance against, a, you know, a very tough guy in Johnny Case, uh, you know, a guy who's also undefeated inside the octagon. And will be another tough test for uh, for Matthews. It's not it's not coming easy for this young guy, you know. Uh, he's getting you know competition that's that's very you know uh, very high level competition. So for Matthews, I think he just needs to you know continue working on his fundamentals and and go in there. And if he has a convincing performance against Johnny Case, um, you know. You can definitely, uh, you know, be rest assured that he will be fighting on, you know, either one or both of those, you know, remaining Australia or, or you know, down under cards that are coming up this year. Yeah, I like the idea of continuing to build him in his native market, um, get him that exposure. We've talked about it in the past, and, and it's obviously something that gets discussed in the MMA space pretty regularly, building regional stars and and almost national stars before becoming global stars. I think Jake Matthews, a guy that I've had a chance to speak with several times over the years, has that potential for the Australia and New Zealand market. I like that you mentioned Sage Northcutt. I see some similarities in terms of young with clear, obvious upside, but still some holes and still some just experience and and veteran savvy that needs to be learned and, and built over the years. I think this is another fight, as you mentioned, where he gets a chance to gain some of that. Johnny Case, unbeaten in the UFC with four straight wins, has been looking for this fight, wants this fight, is going to test Jake Matthews on the ground and probably give Jake Matthews some opportunities for some scrambles, for some submission attempts. I think this becomes, for me, this is my fight of the night pick. I think it becomes a very entertaining fight. I do think it is important. Um, to get a guy like Jake Matthews or to have someone like Robert Whitaker really sort of claim the torch for this market going forward, though. Um, the UFC is committed to going over there. Three events this year. We've seen three, I believe, in each of the past two years. Um, it's a place where they want to continue growing this sport. It feels like Canada was maybe five years ago when... Ontario first opened up and then we started seeing opportunities out here in British Columbia for the UFC that is and I think you need those big local draws yes it's great when you can go over and bring Ronda Rousey title fights and Joanna Janjacek title fights but for smaller shows like this you need that local draw we saw it with Conor the way that Ireland got behind Conor McGregor and the SBG team as they all sort of rose together that rising tide lifted all of those ships at once and if you can get a few different australian fighters moving forward together robert whitaker is the lead maybe jake matthews is the robin to his batman i think you need that because a lot of these other guys unfortunately haven't necessarily shown that kyle noak's been around forever great fighter gritty dude tough as nails but he's in the latter stages of his career a bunch of the guys that have come off Tough Nations, as well as Jake Matthews, like Dan Kelly, like Richie Walsh, like Brendan O'Reilly, who we're seeing this weekend, just don't have that upward potential, just don't have the same ceiling as a guy like Matthews, as a guy like Robert Whitaker. And so I think for these young fighters to really take the ball and run with it, I think Dan Hooker has the potential to be that as well. 
Um, another guy that has moved the, made the move to the U.S. to train with the Elevation Fight Team. So that's help, that will help him, in my opinion. But I think they need these young guys to really step to the forefront and be people that they can continue to build around and showcase, get them to a certain point, and then unleash them, I guess, on, on the larger global UFC market. Yeah, no, I, and and I definitely agree with that sentiment. And uh, yeah, a lot of those guys from from the Tough Nation season, uh, as you mentioned, you know, Richie Walsh and Brandon O'Reilly, who are fighting, you know, this weekend, they still, you know, um, have you know a ton to prove of whether they are even you know UFC caliber guys that that can go out there and compete with the you know highest level of athlete that the UFC has to offer. I think that uh, Jake Matthews. In terms of his athleticism and in terms of, you know, his um, demeanor as a fighter, I think he's already there. Um, what he needs to, you know, work on right now is is definitely, you know, just fundamentals and, and remaining focused. And maybe, you know, and maybe even going and training with, you know, one of the better camps, um, just you know, taking some time to, to just work on some new techniques as well. I think that could go a long way for a young guy like that, you know, 21 years old, he'll soak that up um, and, and take those, you know, uh, lessons learned and can go into a fight even more dangerous than he already is. Yeah. He's been to Jackson's in the past with Kyle Noak, who was obviously his coach on tough nations. Um, definitely a spot that I would love to see him go back to and, and move to, if not on a permanent basis and just up, you know, up and leave home, which is a very difficult thing, especially as a 21 year old, at least come over and do his camps here in North America, which is tough when you're always fighting back home in Australia. It may not necessarily make sense financially and just in terms of fly over here, massive long flight to train for whatever it may be, two months, three months to then head back. But I think the benefits of it are there. The potential benefits of it are there. So maybe it'll be something we see going forward. Who knows? This weekend, I think, does tell us a lot about where Jake Matthews fits and what his ceiling is and, and what we can expect from him going forward. Before we depart Brisbane, before we leave this show, what's the one fight or one fighter on this card that is getting very little attention, but you're interested in that you think people need to tune in and see. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the fight that um, I'm pretty excited to see off the, off that UFC fight pass card, you know, you got Canadian Chad LaPreeze fighting again against Ross Pearson. I think that's a, you know, an entertaining fight of two guys who are, you know, striking technicians and, um, both guys are coming off losses and a big opportunity for them for Chad Laprise, This is, you know, I think the, the biggest name that he's faced, uh, inside the octagon. So this is a big opportunity for him to, you know, make a statement performance over some, you know, someone like Ross Pearson who has a lot of respect, uh, you know, in that lightweight division and a guy who, you know, always comes to fight, um, you know, for Ross, uh, you know, it's also another opportunity to, you know, get back into that win column. You know, he's been trading wins and losses for, for the last little while. I think when, you know, he had that win over Paul Felder at UFC 191, you know, I really thought that, you know, he was, you know, going to turn some kind of corner and, and, and uh, you know, maybe go on a little uh, streak, but... You know, Francisco Trinaldo had other plans uh, in January. So um, for Ross Pearson, it's it's an opportunity for him to, 
um, you know, get back in the win column and, and just um, sort of, uh, you know, reestablish himself in some ways. And it's funny because both these guys are coming off losses to Trinaldo. Um, so, you know, they... Yeah, they definitely have something to prove to come out here. And I think for Chad LaPreeze, he's one of those guys that, you know, uh, is, is still a really great prospect. You know, he was undefeated going into that Francisco Trinaldo fight last year uh, in Saskatoon that you uh, were at. Um, but, you know, he he definitely has a great opportunity here against Pearson. And I think that if he gets a, you know, convincing win over Pearson, puts him right back into that, you know, prospect, you know, big-time prospect category, and we can expect more from him. Yeah, Laprise jumps into this fight replacing Abel Trujillo, who was scratched a couple of nights ago uh, with these issues, unable to get over to Australia for this fight, was originally scheduled to face Brazilian Alain Patrick. Um, I agree with you. Definitely the biggest name in terms of recognition that Chad Laprise has fought. I talked to him before this event. He was very excited about getting in there with Alan Patrick, saying all the right things about that loss to Francisco Trinaldo, sort of re- re-energizing him, refocusing him. Very similar to what Chris Weidman was talking about during UFC 196 week, about that loss sort of breaking you from all the habits that you build up and the routine that you get in when you continue to win. Sometimes you do need that loss to shake you. Um, you know, Chad talked about you wake up, you're heartbroken for a night, woke up the next morning, oh, look, the sun's out, my wife's still here, I still have a good <laughs> life, let's just start moving forward. I like this matchup for him um, a little better because Pearson, mostly the same size, mostly the same approach in terms of striking. So I think this is a very winnable fight for the Disciple. Uh, a fellow Chatham Kent representative, much like myself, um, so always pulling for him. For me, I'm super interested in the kickoff bout, and that may sound weird to some people that the very first fight of the night is the one I'm most interested in. But I think Leslie Smith is hella exciting. I think Ridnikai is such a weird addition <laughs> to the UFC women's bantamweight ranks that I just I'm so interested to see how she responds in her second opportunity after fighting Misha Tate and kind of having an ugly fight with Misha Tate. It was one of those fights where Misha didn't look great but got the win and you were kind of like, well, is me, have we seen the best of Misha? Clearly we haven't because she now has gone on to win the title. Um, and so she did a good job to build from that. I think Leslie Smith is, for me, one of those fighters that every division needs Every organization needs just a game veteran that is going to go out there and push you no matter what. Um, we haven't seen her since her ear exploded uh, in Mexico City against Jessica I. So that's a crazy sort of element to it as well in terms of the layoff. I just think this has the potential to be a really cool fight that kicks off the card. And I think the UFC needs to do more to get these female fighters out there. As much as, especially given sort of the amount of attention that the Ronda Misha Holly Holm triumvirate has has garnered, as much as Joanna Jacek got one of the biggest pops coming out at the Unstoppable Press event, and we'll get to that in a minute, um, there's just so much interest in these female fighters right now that the UFC needs to spotlight them a little a little bit more, get them in some 
some better opportunities, get them fighting more regularly. And so to see these two kick off the show, probably start it with a bang. Um, I like that Beck Rollins and Sohi Ham are fighting later in the card. I just think the momentum is there right now for women's fighting that the UFC can make the most of it. So it's great to see them back in, in, in the ring, getting an opportunity. And I just think it's going to be one of those fights that nobody's really talking about going in, but it could be just all kind. It can go bonkers in so many different ways <laughs> that I just can't wait for it to happen. Exactly. I mean, Rin Nakai could show up in a turtle outfit and, uh, you know, do something crazy. It's, you know, <laughs> unless Reebok makes a turtle outfit. But... <laughs> they should. Maybe maybe she maybe should talk should. to Reebok and get it done. <laughs> maybe they should. It's the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. ESK with Patrick Sviklinski. Getting into our final segment, and we'll run through this one pretty quick because we're a couple of weeks removed now from the UFC Unstoppable Press event in Las Vegas. I was there. I love these seasonal launches. I think it's great to roll them out and announce a bunch of big fights at the same time, get people amped, get people excited for, and sort of looking ahead a couple of months. Um, What was your immediate takeaway? What are your thoughts on these launch events? And should the UFC keep doing them? Awesome. I love it. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely, I absolutely love the unstoppable, uh, presser. It was, you know, a lot of fun for, for a lot of different reasons. You know, first you get, you know, all these awesome, you know, fight announcements going on and, and then you, you know, get into the nitty gritty, you get, you know, Daniel Cormier on stage with, you know, John Jones, and then you get Chris Weidman and Luke Rockhold, Dominic Cruz, Uriah Faber, go down the list, you know, um, it was it was awesome. I thought it was a lot of fun. I think the way the UFC put it together was great. I always love seeing those um, you know big time press conferences where they bring in all their you know big stars who, are, who have upcoming fights. Uh, nothing nothing bad to say about it. I thought it hit all the right marks. I think the crowd was really into it. I mean, I wasn't there, but you were. Um, so you know, you tell me, did, did the crowd receive it you know pretty well as well? It's interesting because I think you probably heard everything that was said better than we heard everything that was said um, inside the venue just because the acoustics and the audio wasn't that great. I mean, you saw Dana White have to sort of clarify and play middleman in the like telephone game between Daniel Cormier and John Jones explaining... He said, you're a pussy. Oh, do you want to be his pussy? Like, just the weirdest thing in the world. Uh, and we talked to a couple fighters about it afterwards. Luke Rockhold kind of said he didn't hear a lot of what Chris Weidman was saying, but figured it was just the usual, oh, I'm sick of Luke and I was hurt and I should beat him. Usual kind of, as as Luke kind of framed it, excuses from the guy that just got beat. <laughs> I've been to two of these now. Both of them have been great. Uh, the first one was Conor McGregor's bonkers red panty night event um, which goes down in history as as maybe the best press conference of all time this one to me was was phenomenal and we got a chance to talk to dana later in the night about it um and the thing that really stood out for me save for a couple of fights is that a lot of these guys and a lot of these fighters that are matched up the beef and the and the heat between them is full-on, 100% super legit. So, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Khabib, Nurmagomedov, 
just doesn't like Tony Ferguson is sick of hearing from him about how Tony Ferguson rules the division and whatever, and gave him the blah, blah, blah as he was talking. <laughs> Clearly, Daniel Cormier and John Jones do not like each other. Uh, shout out to Bones for the ultimate heel move of bringing out the belt himself. Um, thought that was great. Love the fact that Jones is sort of like, I'm going pro wrestling here. Jones is kind of like the over heel. And Daniel Cormier is the John Cena super baby face that nobody gives respect to. And nobody, <laughs> I don't want to say nobody really likes, but he's that guy that, you know, is standing up there talking about hustle, loyalty, and respect. And everybody's like, boo, we like that guy. <laughs> um, I think it still makes for a great fight. Super interested in that one. The one, and, and this is going to be sort of my segue into the next one of what fight are you looking forward to the most? Mine is Joanna Jacek and Claudia Gadelia because these two ladies legit do not like each other and will most likely punch one another in the face before this fight happens. So I mentioned that we got a chance to talk to Dana uh, later that night at the UFC 2 launch event, the EA Sports event, um, up at the Mandalay Bay at Light Night Club. And Dana let us in on a little bit of the a little bit of the dirt with these two. So you saw them during the press event, kind of Joanna came out and said something to Claudia Gadelia, who instantly got heated and grabbed her water bottle and looked like she was going to rifle it across the little aisle separating them, which prompted Dana White to kind of look and find Joe Williams, the UFC head of security and say, Joe, can you just go and stand between those two crazy people? Um, so as it turns out, there have been water bottles thrown between these two in the past. They went, obviously they taped the ultimate fighter season 23 in Las Vegas, six weeks together um, at each other, as you can expect, just you want to Jacek is the best trash talker in the game. And it's because she doesn't talk trash. She just needles you. She just finds the little things that she knows are going to annoy you, like calling Claudia Gedalia her best friend and saying, go ahead, tell them we're best friends, right? <laughs> and you see the fire light up in the Brazilian's eyes. So it turns out on the last day of filming, they squared off. They got chirping with each other. Joanna said something. Claudia basically told her to shut the F up. I'm sick of listening to you. Um, at one point, Joanna threw a water bottle at her. They actually came to blows in their square off, got separated. And then as everybody was kind of leaving the facility and every, you know, the season's over, as Dana put it, it's like the end of high school. Everybody's signing yearbooks and getting ready to leave. These two started throwing down, like legit head kicks, punching each other, going after each other. None of it is on tape, so we're never going to see it. So there will never be any like 100% here's the video proof. But to see how fired up Dana was talking about it and to see the animosity between them, obviously Claudia Gedalia took a swipe at Ioana Janjacek as they faced off on the stage that day. That for me has instantly become my I cannot wait till July 8th. I love that I am going to be in Las Vegas for that fight to see it live and to see all the shenanigans in the build-up to it that week. Which of these fights, knowing that now, are you looking forward to the most? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's hard not to get pumped for that for that Joanna Claudia fight. Um, 
And you can tell the animosity is so real. I mean, I, I, you know, going on the stage and just seeing, you know, the body language, that's all you have to see to know how much these two hate each other. So, um, like you, I'm, I'm super excited to see that fight. Um, you know, for me, coming away from that press conference, you know, um, I, I think that, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, at first, this was a fight that I wasn't, you know, all that thrilled to see an immediate run back, but now... I'm pretty pumped up to see Chris Weidman and Luke Rockhold go at it one more time. Um, you know, I, it was the first time where I saw Chris Weidman just so angry. Um, you know, I'm used to seeing him, you know, with his all-American smile and, you know, uh, you know this, this sort of, you know, happy guy and, and uh, you know, this all-American guy. And he was just pissed off. He hates Luke Rockhold so much. Um, you know, that, that much was evident from the, you know, unstoppable presser, you know, and, and, you know, he was, he was saying, you know, that, you know, Luke's been, you know, he's been really cocky, you know, since winning the belt and, you know, seeing Luke sort of, you know, hold the microphone, even the way he did and kind of, you know, given that, you know, a little bit of a shit grin to, to Chris Wyden and be like, you know, you're my Anderson Silva, um, I'm, I'm thrilled to see that fight. You know, I, Chris Weidman is still to me, you know, th those two guys are the two best fighters in that middleweight division. No question. And, uh, you know, I think that Chris Weidman obviously made that mistake of, of throwing that kick. You know, we all know, uh, what happened in that first fight, you know, not to say that Luke Rockhold, you know, wouldn't have won that fight otherwise, but I think, you know, we would have made, uh, it, it might've, you know, uh, went down a little differently, but you know those are two guys who you know are are two middleweights that are in the prime of their careers, and I could see those guys fight you know um, you know a whole bunch of times. I'm I'm very excited to see Weidman uh, you know fight Rockhold, and now that he's you know fired up the way he is, it just makes it all the more exciting. And I think that you know uh, we're going to see a, a more focused and different version of Weidman here too. Um, I think that it's going to be one of those fights that, uh, you know, brings out the best in both guys. True story. I suggested the possibility of them fighting multiple times to Chris Weidman <laughs> as we were talking. And this is after he told me that if I asked him in the first couple of weeks after that fight, if it was ultimately going to be a good thing for his career, he said he would have punched me in the face, laughed and then said <laughs> it is. But yeah, I probably would have punched you. Um, his mindset is if I go out there and smash Luke Rockhold, who's going to want to see it again? I told him I would because then it would be 1-1. One, one. Um, <laughs> he kind of laughed and agreed with that. And so I think we may see it a couple more times. Definitely a fight that to me and, and our boy Dwayne Finley, who's filled in on this show and is just one of the smarter dudes that I know when it comes to framing these things, always framed this as like the quarterbacks from rival high schools just the most popular dudes in their school, the most talented, all of that thing, meeting at the bike rack just to say, <laughs> and it 100% is. I can't wait to see it. It might be, I mean, it's hard to put these in order in terms of, you know, where that one falls. I think I got Jones Cormier as number two with yeah. this one taking the bronze medal. But I guess that brings me to what might be the hardest question is which of these really entertaining fights and these really good fights are you least looking forward to which one doesn't really motivate, get you jacked up as much as some of these other ones? Oh God. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that, that's a tough question. I mean, out of all the fights, you know, 
Uh, there's so many good ones, and honestly, all of them I want to see for, for various reasons. I guess the one that sort of, you know, makes me scratch my head a little bit and, you know, wonder, you know, really what's sort of the, you know, the end game here. Um, ben Rothwell and Junior Dos Santos, um, you know, two heavyweights, obviously. Dos Santos is coming off, you know, a knockout loss to, to Alistair Overeem. Ben Rothwell has four wins in a row, a win over Alistair Overeem where he finished Alistair Overeem, and yet he's fighting Junior Dos Santos because... See, and this I'm, is why I'm yeah. the other way, because I want to see that fight because Ben Rothwell is crazy entertaining right now. He is just on a roll with the go-go chokes and describing himself as a monster in the division. And I go to the Alistair Overeem-Andre Arlovsky fight because... How how could you possibly promote <laughs> Alistair Overeem ahead of Ben Rothwell if both emerge victorious? And yet I kind of feel like that's what they're queuing up to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, well, <laughs> the, the thing, yeah, the, I, I guess the thing I, I sort of think about when, you know, uh, I think about the rothwell Santos fight is I'm like, you know, Dos Santos, I mean, could could very feasibly finish Rothwell, and then you know if he doesn't, you know, get that win, then suddenly I think his momentum, you know, stops completely, and he's been building himself in his last few fights in a big way, and it's and it's been honestly, let's let's be honest, it's been a struggle for Ben Rothwell to get you know some you know hype around him. I think he finally has that to you know to go in a risky fight. With a guy like DeSantos, obviously, you know, not maybe the same DeSantos as we saw, you know, pre-Cain Velasquez. Um, I think that it, it's a risky situation for Ben Rothwell. And, and now with the hype that he has around him, I would have liked to have seen him, you know, maybe fight someone else in the division who would have, you know, bolstered, you know, his name up a little more. A win over DeSantos. DeSantos is still a huge name, and, and a lot of people know him as, you know, a destroyer in that heavyweight division. But I think, you know, as we saw, you know, Overeem took a little bit of that, you know, um, a little away from him because of, you know, how quickly DeSantos went down. You're like, man, you know, DeSantos has taken some hits over the years, and, and we're starting to see that. So, um that I think to me is a little bit why you know I'm I'm a little cautious of you know being like you know I'm really jazzed up for this fight because I'd like to see Ben Rothwell in a big time fight like that. But had Dos Santos beat Overeem, then maybe you know I'd be a little more jazzed up for that. I gotcha. I I guess for me it's that Ben Rothwell is on a roll that he has, as you said, turned himself into a compelling figure. He has that win over Alistair Overeem that was a first-round finish um, that came with a goofy little dance afterwards. It is very <laughs> much Ben Rothwell and who he is these days, completely embracing this opportunity and being himself in the cage and out of the cage. I just think I want to see if he can keep this role going. I feel like I know where Alistair Overeem kind of fits. I, I've seen him lose to Ben Rothwell, and for me... That makes me more interested in Rothwell, especially given that Andre Arlovsky didn't look great in beating Frank Mir. But heavyweight fights, always entertaining to each their own as well. We'll end on this. We'll wrap on this. With all of these announcements, with all the fights that we've seen recently and that have been announced for April through June at this Unstoppable event, 
Do you worry at all that the UFC runs out of options or maybe doesn't have as much firepower as they would like for UFC 200 in July? Uh, and I, I guess in some ways, you know, I, I do worry a little bit, you know, there, I, I somehow, I guess, you know, when I was thinking about DC, um, versus, you know, John Jones, I, I had some kind of feeling that it was going to be at UFC 200, but we're getting it earlier, which I'm absolutely stoked about. But, um, I thought that that fight maybe was going to be on that card. And, um, you know, I thought it might've been paired with a, you know, a McGregor fight, uh, as well. But, um, in terms of, you know, what kind of options they'll have at UFC 200, I think they'll, I think they still have some really big options. Like we were talking about earlier in the show, you know, um, you could put that legends fight together against, you know, Silva and GSP. Um, you could put together a fight, you know, for, for Misha Tate, you could put together a fight for Conor McGregor. You know, I think, you know, that, uh, it's still very feasible that we see Conor, you know, defend his featherweight title at UFC 200. Um, and Nate, you could have Nate on there. Um, there, there's still a lot of options, you know, um, for UFC 200. Um, I guess, you know, one thing that I thought, you know, is that, that they might try to hype, you know, put a little more time behind the hype up around John Jones' return. And I thought, you know, it, it would have been pretty nice to see, you know, him come back at UFC 200. But you can't blame, you know, the UFC for wanting to give the fans that fight earlier. I mean, you know, as someone who loves watching, you know, John Jones compete, I'm thrilled to see him back, you know, um, you know, sooner than later for sure. Um, so. I still think there's some great options for UFC 200, and I think that whatever they put together, um, it's going to be a great show. And and not only the headlining fights, you know, I think the UFC, you know, sees that, you know, there's going to be opportunities to put together just great fights. I mean, you know, when we saw, um, you know, uh, I believe it was UFC 189 when uh, when Conor McGregor um, fought Chad Mendes, and then you had Rory and Robbie fighting. You know, that card was just awesome you know top to bottom so i think that they you know they'd be you know smart to sort of follow that blueprint just put guys who are exciting you know against each other and and guys who are going to go in there and, and fight and fill up that card as much as you can with with good fights with quality fights and then let the headliners do their thing yeah i'm going to sound like a complete shell here and i'm fully aware that people are going to call me such when they listen to this but I trust in the UFC. I think, as you mentioned, there are some options out there for guys like Conor McGregor to defend his title. We still have Robbie Lawler waiting in the wings. We talked about GSP Anderson Silva. Um, I said coming into this year on one of our first show, either one of our last shows of 2015 or the first show of 2016, that the fight I'm most intrigued by is CM Punk's debut, uh, which <laughs> we know will come against Mickey Gall at some point. I think that will be on this card. I think they will do enough and find enough to make this a colossal event. Um, and we've seen in, in recent months that it doesn't necessarily need to be the absolute biggest names that get us the most jazzed. As you, as you mentioned just a second ago, Chris Weidman and Luke Rockhold is your sort of the fight from that, that event that really jumps out at you. They were the co-main event the last time they fought. And so I think we're going to get enough combined exciting fights. I think they stack it from top to bottom. I think we get 12 entertaining, you know, fights that very similar to what we got at UFC 189 last summer. 
where it's, you know, six, seven, eight deep of, oh my God, I can't miss this fight. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of prospects and intriguing options and, and just little possibilities that really tantalize hardcore idiots like you and me. Um, (laughs) I think they're going to figure it out. I think they always have for the most part. And I think they continue to, will continue to do so this summer. Um, Hopefully in the next couple of months or a couple of weeks, even we'll start getting a few of those announcements so we can start knowing a little bit of how that event is shaping up. But regardless of, of what those first few fights are, I'm positive that it's going to be a crazy week. They're doing the three fight, the three fight cards in one week to coincide with international fight week as well. Also the launch of the T-Mobile arena in Las Vegas. So it'll be a new venue, which I'm sure will mean some new production and some new, um, and you know, new effects for the UFC, I guess we'll say similar to what they did last summer when they broke out sort of the new setup that they have for weigh-ins at major events with the video screens and things of that nature. Um, I think it's still going to be as great as we anticipated, even though we've got all of these fights announced. But as with everything, it seems from this show, we will take the wait and see approach. We will keep you posted as we learn more. That's going to do it for this week. Before we roll out, as always, Pat, tell the people how to stay in touch, how to follow you, and what you've got coming down the pipe this week for UFC Brisbane. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, stay in touch with me on Twitter, at Pat Triklinski, at P-A-T-C-W-I-K-L-I-N-S-K-I. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. You know, I've always got something uh, interesting to say, uh, but probably most of the time I don't. So, uh, you know, either way. <laughs> um, but... Uh, coming down the pipeline, you know, we got, um, you know, punch drunk predictions as always coming down and, uh, you know, I just did an interview with, uh, Hector Lombard. So expect that sometime this week, um, you know, in the anticipation for UFC Brisbane, he had some interesting stuff to say. So look out for that. Uh, keyboard Kimura, you know, keep it locked. As for me, as always, I am Spencer Kite. You can follow me on all my social media at Spencer Kite, S-P-E-N-C-E-R-K-Y-T-E, as Paul Chapman likes to make clear at the end of each show. When Chappie used to be a part of this show, uh, (laughs) hope you are getting better. Hope you are healing up and we can eventually get you back on this show that has moved forward without you. Um, For me, I've actually talked to your guy's dance partner, talked to Neil Magny last week. As I mentioned earlier in the show, had a couple laughs with him about not fighting as regularly as he would like and and what comes next, likely that he will try to get on the card three weeks down the road. Um, (laughs) But other than that, same old, same old. All the stuff will be coming out on social media. uh, Shameless self-promotion central here with me. But until then, until next week when Pat and I return to run back UFC Brisbane and look ahead to whatever else is coming down the pipeline, thank you for listening and enjoy the fights this weekend. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Kimura.